Hello and welcome to Talking Transfers from the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by 90 Min's transfer correspondent, Graham Bailey, 90 Min's top cat, Toby Cudworth, and the Tottenham and Brentford man, writer, editor, Sean Walsh. Welcome back, Sean. It's been a little while since we've had you on the podcast. Are you delighted with uh, the Harry Kane saga continuing to drag? Oh, just it's just nonsense, isn't it? That German journalist going to the press conference with the Bayern Munich shirt, it just won't go away, will it? Did it look a little bit like Charlie Kane to you? Uh, yeah, it did. Yeah, that's was, that was my new running conspiracy. It was Charlie Kane and with some kind of get up on. Um, yeah. But I'm very, unlike you, Scott, we're going away this week, different places, but I'm excited to get away from it all. Would you like to tell everyone where you're going, Sean? Is, is it Porto. business or pleasure? It's ple- this is this is leisure, pleasure. So okay, not like you. you. You're going, you're going to actual work stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I'll be here for Friday's show because I'll be in Vegas. <laughs> Uh, doing a Man United fan convention. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Graham, how are you doing? Um, not too bad. Full of cold, unfortunately. Oh, it's fair been... play. You're you're, yeah. re- you're sounding quite good though. Oh, thank you. Yeah, but I'm I'm on. I'm I'm on. Um, I'm on legal legal drugs and uh, plenty of energy drinks, which we discussed off pod. So, um, getting me through. Um, probably a slump this afternoon, maybe. Uh, Toby, bumper irons in the fire today. Yeah, lots to talk about. Um, I'm just thinking about Friday's show now, and you potentially hosting from a Vegas pool party or something similar. Oh, God, I think imagine. I think we should make it happen. Yeah, Vid- special video edition of Talking Transfers coming up. If you are, uh, if you're subscribed to us, uh, or if you're not, please subscribe on all major podcast platforms and follow us at double underscore Scott Saunders at Toby underscore Cudworth at Graham Bailey and at Sean DZ Walsh uh, 90min.com forward slash talking transfers for all of the latest 90min.com in general for a lot of useful information from the team at 90min.com not just transfer related but we do specialize in transfers as well 90min underscore football for all the social channels and today we'll be talking all about Kylian Mbappe he's going to be at the top of the show what is going to happen with him I'm guessing by now You've all seen that Kylian Mbappe has been subject to an offer from Saudi Arabia with 300 million euros, 700 million-ish euros a week. It's the figure that's been banded around. We'll tell you what's actually happening with Kylian Mbappe, if that's going to happen or not. Uh, We'll talk Harry Kane, obviously, as we've mentioned already. Sean's here to give us the latest. Rasmus Hoyland, Mohamed Kudus, Bernardo Silva, Michael Lise. Some Chelsea potential sales, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Conor Gallagher, João Polina, and a final goodbye, potentially, even though uh, we've talked about this already. Final goodbye from Graham to Alexander Mitrovic, who, like Wolf Zaha, will be leaving the Premier League as we expect. Now, uh, let's get into all of it at the top. Obviously, subscribe if you haven't already. But let's, let's talk Kylian Mbappe to start with, Graham, because Real Madrid have wanted this lad... For a long, long time, haven't they? PSG managed to get him. He's been there for a few years. I've seen suggestions that he's not one of the best players in the world (laughs) uh, going around the football media sphere over the last few hours. Uh, But he did score a hat-trick in the World Cup final, if I remember rightly. And uh, PSG, he seems to have fallen out with them a little bit. PSG have put him up for sale. But Kylian Mbappe dreams of Real Madrid. Will this Saudi Arabia deal get in the way? What is what's going to happen? What do we reckon? Um, 
the end story will be in playing in the white of Real Madrid. Just a matter of, of when it will be. It's it's fascinating what's going on. You know, Kylian Mbappe has made sure he's in he's in pole position here. He's in the driving seat. He's captain of his own ship. What happens to Kylian Mbappe basically doesn't have anything to do with PSG. Doesn't have anything to do with Nasser Al Khalifi, his mother and agent Faisal Lamari. Um, spoke to Al Khalifi a few weeks ago and more recently. Um, not on the best of terms, them two, but she was making it clear. Nothing happens without Killian say so here. And PSG, what's happened in the last week is they've been, um, they haven't taken them on tour, as we know. They've been using intermediaries to touch base with every club possible in Europe. So all these links with Man United, Tottenham, etc. that all started with PSG. They're sending intermediaries out there to let them know. And then PSG are feeding and briefing other sources to say there's interest in these clubs. Technically, I guess there is if you're making contact, but it's all from PSG. This it is all from PSG. Ironically, one of the clubs that PSG haven't sent intermediaries to is Real Madrid, as they already know they are interested. PSG are convinced that he's already agreed deal, agreed a deal to join, and Bappe and Real Madrid both deny this. Obviously, they know each other; they're very friendly. Um, you know, and and as for the Saudi links, Scott, yes, they have made a bid Al Halal. They're putting it out there. From our understanding, Mbappe hasn't even talked to Saudi. He's not acknowledged it. He has no plans as it stands to move to Saudi Arabia. He doesn't want to. Um, it's not part of his plan. So, yeah, he's um, as we stand, he's he's waiting and seeing. Um, and as, as Real Madrid are as well, which is the crucial thing. Real Madrid keeping their powder dry. Did they come late in the window with a bid? From what I'm being told at Real, by Real sources, don't rule it out. But... I think January might be when they come, but um, we're not Are we yet. talking low ball offers here? Because like <laughs> Real Madrid, I think we've talked about it on the podcast before. The power is in Mbappe's hands. The power is in Real Madrid's hands. PSG are desperate at, at this point. And you think that could work to Real's advantage in a sense of if they do want him this summer, they could probably, if, if Mbappe is not going to entertain this ridiculous, massive offer, he doesn't want to go anywhere else. We'll talk about whether he's going to go to Man United. It's part of the agenda. I can pretty much rule out that that's going to happen. But Mbappe wants Madrid. Madrid not Madrid want Mbappe. Is it just a case of Real Madrid biding their time and just putting in a potential offer that suits them later? Yeah, definitely so. So I, th- I think there is a chance that as I said I think they'll come in. I do think they'll come in with an offer at some point in the window. I think it'll be less than 100 million euros. Obviously, PSG demanded two hundred. You're not going to get that. Yeah, I'll take Al Halal out the out this sphere, and more, every club in Europe, no one's going to offer that because a year left on his contract. What is he worth? Um, it's up. It's up to PSG. That might be the only reasonable offer they get from a team which Mbappe wants to join. It, it's 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 a fascinating situation. It really is, and I think yeah, I think Mbappe is happy. Um, he's not happy to sit on the bench at PSG or sit in the stands and watch them if it comes to that. But Al Khalifi is just, you know, he's just um, what, just a spoiled brat, really. He's just throwing his toys out the pram. How dare you not sign a new deal? You get out of my club. I'm going to sell you. And and Papa has just been sitting there. He's keeping his counsel. His mother's advising him sensibly. Um, I think they take a leaf out of Florentino Perez's book. You know, it's thoroughly professional the way they're working, unlike PSG, in my opinion. And I think it's underlining to Mbappe that he's clearly made the right decision here. I think if anything we can take from the last week, Scott, it is him and his mother are sat there thinking, do you know what? It's a good job we didn't sign that extension because you've made the right choice. 
Sean, going to come to you. Graham's mentioned the intermediaries have been making some noise about clubs being interested. Did you appreciate it when Tottenham's name were thrown into the ring? Well, yeah, I first heard this when I was was at the cinema watching Barbie on Saturday night and I leave the cinema. The first (laughs) thing I see on my phone, oh, Tottenham are in talks with Mbappe. It's like, what the hell's going on here? Um, Very, very strange. Yeah, obviously. I think we can rule out that Mbappe will definitely not be at Spurs next season, but you know, you have to be a big club to be in these circles, you know. I think we're just happy to have that for now. Uh, Toby, just to come to you, I mean, this offer is outrageous. I mean, I think we know that Mbappe wants Madrid. He will end up there. Uh, like Graham says, it's just a matter of when. Any chance for you that this throws a spanner in the works? No, I can't see Mbappe going there age 24. What's in it for him apart from the obvious boatload of money? Um, I think he'd rather stay at PSG and prove a point if he absolutely has to. Um, he will end up at Real Madrid. That's my reading of the situation. I think Graham's right. I anticipate Real Madrid coming in at the end of the transfer window. I don't think Mbappe's going to act on this Al-Halal bid or interest in the coming days and weeks. We'll see Real come in and test the waters at the end of August with a, a perceived low ball offer. And if that doesn't work, we roll on to January and he signs the pre-contact agreement and goes there for free next year. What I can't get my head around or understand is that PSG wanted 200 million euros for Mbappe from Real Madrid. Why did Al-Halal go in at 300? What was the need for that? It's, just, it's a statement, right? It's a strange flex. It, yeah, flex. it is. It is literally that, isn't it? It's a flex of this is what we're capable of. This is the financial muscle that we have. And when we're factoring in the wages that are being banded about and add-ons and image rights and all this kind of stuff we're talking about a billion euros for one year and then they're just going to let Mbappe walk away to Real Madrid for free it's working though guys isn't it we're talking about Mbappe Real Madrid and Hal Halal in the same conversation that's what they want totally absolutely um Graham I'll come back to you PSG's threats of leaving Mbappe out in the cold for the duration of the season. I'm guessing Kylian Mbappe is sitting there thinking, you're really going to leave me out of the team for an entire year? Yeah, it put, it's not a great situation for Luis Enrique to inherit, is it? You know, he's he's looking to plan for the future. He's got targets such as Bernardo Silva, who we'll talk about later in the show. You know, you can see he's probably desperate for Mbappe to go or, or just to say, I've got him for this one season. I think he'd want it either way where, right, He's staying for the entire season, then we lose him for nothing. Great. I know I can rely on him for the t- next 12 months or that he's definitely leaving the summer. I think that's where Enrique would come at it. He's obviously not getting involved in the internal politics of the issue. Um, will Al Khalifi tell Luis Enrique not to play him? I don't think Enrique would abide by that personally. I think he that's not why you know you appoint a strong character like Enrique. I don't think he'd put up with that. Um, I think after the window shuts, if Mbappe is still there. I think you'll see Mbappe playing for PSG. I really do. Or I don't see Enrique going along with it, um, personally. But we'll see how this plays out. Um, a lot more a lot more twists and turns to come, yeah. But yeah, do we see him at Real Madrid? I, I, I think he might very well stay till next summer. I, I think as it stands, that's the way. I don't think Real Madrid, I think they're playing it sensibly. You know, can... can even if they try and get him in January, can can Real Madrid get through to January without Mbappe? I think you said this on last show, Toby. Yeah, 
not a problem with them getting through to January. They didn't need him, probably not. Um, and then maybe try and offer the 15, 17 January. Um, I think that might play out that way, but we don't know as it stands. But um, I think we can say that he's highly, highly unlikely to go to Al Hilal. Can I ask Graham what this might mean for Neymar? Because we've been talking about him leaving PSG all summer long. PSG want to get rid of him. Is there a world where Messi's already gone? Mbappe potentially takes up this Saudi offer, although we very much think he won't. It's all gone quiet on the Neymar front, hasn't it? Is this a chance for him to re-cement his place as kind of the leading figure at PSG? Again, I think it comes down to Luis Enrique and, and whether he wants to use him, which I think he probably does. I think there is a bit... What we can't underestimate is how popular Kylian Mbappe is in the PSG camp. We're going to be doing a piece actually on Marco Verratti where even before... Mbappe was left up Japanese to him. Verratti was a bit unsettled. He's not happy about the way PSG have treated his friends, Neymar and Mbappe. Um, um, and in this latest episode, you know, he's thinking about his future as well. So it's causing issues within the background here. The, I don't think the players appreciate what Al Khalifa is doing. I really don't. They don't see there's an issue with what Mbappe is doing. He's just playing out his contract. A lot of players do it, you know. This is a PSG who are mourning about this. This is a PSG who took Milan Skriniar from Inter, doing exactly the same thing. You know, like, oh, so it's okay for you to sign Skriniar in a free. You didn't see Inter throwing the toys out the pram. Oh, Skriniar, you never play for us again. It's, it's what happens in football. It's just completely amateurish, the way he's working. You've got a world-class player coming out of contract. Even you know, what I mean, he's making Daniel Levy look sensible, isn't he? That's the thing with the Harry Kane situation. I, I think Khalifa is just showing himself up to be you know, a real spot brat. And and as I said, Papi has made the right decision here. And yeah, but with Neymar, I think we might hear a bit. I think this Japanese trip will be a big thing for him, Toby. And I guess he'll see how he operates in the Enrique system. If he's a key figure in the Enrique system, he'll probably want to stay. But then again, do we see Piff coming in, doing something? Do we see the Newcastle links coming up again? Do we see him going alone somewhere? I think we'll know a lot more when Neymar returns from Japan and how he feels in the Luis Enrique system. Just going to go back to Kylian Mbappe, Graham. So are you ruling out that he's going to join Man United? <laughs> yeah, um, from what United United weren't particularly happy about their name being mentioned in this regard, you know. Um, yeah, he's not... Um, He's he's not coming to Man to Old Trafford, even if the uh, you know even if the Qatar takeover comes in, Scott. Because I would think the last the last um, owners that Mbappe will want to sign for next is Qataris. I think he's had enough of Qatari ownership, actually. Uh, Sean, let's come to you. Well, we didn't really need to touch on Mbappe any more than that in in the United sense. Harry Kane, though, could you? Uh... Let's talk about Harry Kane in general, but maybe kick off with uh, United's potential feelings towards this deal. Yeah, so um, Tottenham owner Joe Lewis has been in touch. He de- he, this is not a normal thing. He is very much someone who takes a back seat with this kind of stuff. Um, he does not want to lose Harry Kane for free. He sees that this, there is this potential £100 million asset. Don't want to just throw that away. Um could United come back into the race then? Does that mean that Spurs are more open to selling? That's, I think that's possible, yeah. Um, my uh, my personal feelings about it are I still don't think Daniel Levy will be moved too much by it. And I think the thing that I'm going to point to now is Ange Postacoglu, and I think in his first press conference, he said he's not going to be worried about it unless it becomes a massive circus. Now, what I would say about that is it's threatening to stop looking like that. I think we all saw... 
touched it at the start, you know, the the German journalist bringing the Bayern Munich Kane shirt to the press conference. I think that is a real kind of, it's a real underhand kind of tactic that Bayern would have loved. I'm not saying that they planted or anything, but it's definitely something that they would have enjoyed, that they would have been fine with. And they were told like, oh, um, we're going to get the guy from Bill to go show him the shirt. Like, cool. Um, but I think there's going to be a longer month than Spurs were hoping for initially. And I think that sure, is just... where we're heading. Can I, can I ask you on Ange in general in his public uh, mm-hmm. appearances speaking? Like I haven't been following this all that closely, but to me, it seems like from what he's saying, he just wants to get on with it. He wants it sorted out. Because I think if you're a new manager coming in, you want to know the players who are on board with what you're trying to do. You don't want to go and build a system around, say, Harry Kane, and then he leaves on August 31st, and then you're like, well, what do I do now? Because... I, I'm guessing that he just wants this sorted out, or do you if you do you have a different take on that? No, it definitely feels like he just wants to know what he is working with. He he kind of gets on with it. I think he said in a press conference today, you know, he wants a he wants a new centre back. He wants two new centre backs, but he understands that nothing happens immediately. That's just the world of football. So in an ideal world, we know what Kane's future is now, and he can get on with that. I don't know. This could really rumble on to the end of the window. And that could really disrupt Spurs. But I think the annoy- the annoying thing is what Spurs had a friendly against Leicester cancelled on, sa- on Sunday because of um, weather issues. But in the first preseason friendly, our only preseason friendly so far, three to loss to West Ham, there was nothing really special about what we wanted the strikers to do. And if anything, there was an early period in the game where Kane was dropping into the space that Madison was occupying and they were um, bumping into each other a little bit. I said this. So, I said uh, this. <laughs> so you know if I, I'm sure that if Kane were to stay that's an issue that they would find a solution for I, I don't be, doubt that. but it just opens the door is there another kind of striker that would work if Spurs could get 100 mil for him right now and spend it elsewhere uh, Toby you smirked at West Ham the mention of West Ham there. couldn't help it couldn't help it uh, off field issues at West Ham aka can't agree who their targets are and who they want to sign but the kids did beat Spurs in Andrew's first game. Although I did. not get it twisted, Toby. You were crap in that game. I will say. That. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not I must gonna, say that. I'm not going to dispute it. I gave Spurs credit and said you actually looked very good. Um, but at the end of the day, you still lost. Um, one thing I just want to say about the Bayern pursuit: they would have been hugely encouraged by the intervention from Spurs' owner in the Harry Kane matter because I think maybe they weren't losing confidence in a deal possibly being there. But we know Daniel Levy wasn't going to change his stance, this might encourage Bayern that 100 million euros actually will do the job. Um, or they'll work their way up towards an 100 million pounds offer if they can. Um, I think the press conference stunt was ill-advised and and handled it really well, actually. Um, did well not to blow his top. But Bayern clearly think that they are in this and that will only fuel uh, their ambitions to take Kane to the Bundesliga. Uh, Graham, it, so since this development in terms of the Joe Lewis intervention, does that mean that Spurs are going to take... I can't see... Like, I, don't know, I don't know about you, but I can't really see Bayern going any higher than 100 million euros because they have to sort out which striker they have. Obviously, Kolomouani is one of the names that are potential alternatives to this. How high do you think Bayern will go and is their highest acceptable for Spurs? I, th- I think they might go to 100 million. They're, they are preparing the third bid, a record bid. 
um, and we think that will come any time. Any time. Whether that third bid is a hundred million, I think it'll probably be slightly less. Um, it it does obviously give Bayern a bit of hope. I, I don't think that'll be accepted. I really don't. I think that um, it, it's a strange thing that Joe Lewis um, getting involved. Um, I think it may be played down. It's been played down slightly to me, saying that. In, in I think the sources are saying that would be an ideal scenario, and Lewis has told him he would like that rather than saying he has to. Um, so I think it's been downplayed a little bit, um, and I think that's probably what's happened. Um, I I still don't see Bayern getting onto him, and I think the crucial thing will be up and up until the start of August. Bayern are going to have to move on pretty soon. I'm not sure when the when does the Bundesliga start? Is that middle of August as well? It's usually a week or two before. So yeah, so the prem. obviously Chiba Morting's there. They, they need to bring someone in. Um, and I think they might, as I've always said, I thought Colin Moani would end up there, maybe Vlavic. Um, I just don't see it being Harry Kane. And Harry Kane's in the same position as Mbappe. I think, you know, his people, if they know what they're doing, they're telling him, look, we wait six months and then see what offers are on the table. Harry Kane's going to sign a pre-contract in January. At the moment, he's only got Bayern Munich and Tottenham's offers on the table. There's going to be more than that in January. A lot, I, a lot more. I think this circles back towards Bayern's ambitions again. What are they trying to sign here? Are they trying to sign a striker to win the Champions League? Because if that's the case, that's Harry Kane. Do they really think that Randall Kolomouani, with the greatest respect, is going to win them the Champions League? They've won the Bundesliga for the last 12 years. You know, it's not as if they're strengthening to to win the German title. They've got bigger ambition here and they could easily get by for another five months. If they can't pull off a deal for Kane this summer, they could wait until January. I think the quote that you referenced, me saying last week, Graham, was in relation to Bayern and Kane. They do not need to sign anybody to get through the Champions League group stages. They don't need Kane to position themselves at the top of the league. In January, different story. They might want to try and push on and win a Champions League, and that's when Kane is the absolute number one target and is but- more gettable than he's ever been. But Toby, they do run the risk then of Real Madrid being in the mix as well, or you know, something like that. They yeah, do. They just haven't basically. Bayern still haven't signed their Robert Lewandowski replacement. You know, Madden Mane came in helped fill the void, but they haven't signed their Lewandowski replacement. And and Kane would be the ideal man to do that. So um, they managed to get through. I say Toby, they managed to get through since selling them, haven't they? The, with the Manes and and Mullers and uh, etc. They did show an interest in Kai Havertz, but weren't willing to good to the size of the deal that Arsenal did. So, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, but, yeah, as it stands, I, I, Kane isn't really agitating for this, you know. He, he's he's obviously getting used to Ange Ball and seeing what that's like. And he's, I think he's he's a he's a fair guy and he's giving Ange a chance. Um, I think it may well wait, he may well wait till January and then look at things then. Sean, hy- hypothetical world, if Kane is sold late August and Spurs do receive 100 million and they don't have the time to spend it, what happens? Do, do you ex- kind of expect them to go and pull the trigger on somebody else? Do they have the answers in-house? Yeah, I think that it's more likely that they try Richarlison as the number nine for as long as they can and see if, you know, last season, is that just an off-season, which my suspicion is... It's not is a it. bad option. It's not. Right. You, know, you know, Graham, you've been saying all year, Graham, that's Brazil's number nine right there. He's not... I don't think this is someone who was destined to always be mid-table with Everton or something. I think this is someone who he clearly has the kind of mental and technical capabilities to go on and be 
a striker for a club the size of Spurs. So I think if he were to actually get a fair chance at playing that role in a system which, I, coming back to what I said about Kane in that first half of that West Ham match, Richarlison looked very sharp and very much a, like a pressing forward that Ange really wants from his strikers. So I think it would be a good fit as well. I don't think sure. Spurs are going to be rushing to signing another striker if they do sell Kane. Surely Spurs didn't sign Richarlison for what was it, £60 million to be a squad mm, option. Totally. We, we questioned it when Kane was there and Son was there. We thought, where is he going to play? Has this been the plan all along, that Richarlison could be Kane's successor? Because it seems weird to me that you would spend that amount of money unless you're planning to give that player a prominent role in the team. It seems like a no-brainer to me that Richarlison would slot in, but... You'll know better than me. He was he was farmed out on the right at times last year, wasn't he? Which is clearly not his position. Yeah, and there was so there's there's so much discourse about oh, we only scored one Premier League goal. We scored I think it was three in total, but a lot of it was you're right. He was farmed out on the right. He was put in positions where he just wasn't ever going to score goals. But there were a lot of games where he was making these key differences as well, even though he was out of position. I think it was just a really horrible situation to walk into. I think he said um, a lot now about how he didn't have the greatest of relationships with Conte. I think the hope from Spurs was, I think they saw a bit of Liverpool in themselves and that, oh, this could guy could be like our Diogo Jota. He could come in. Maybe he's not a starter right away, but he could force his way into the lineup if he's that good. Um, I still have faith that that might happen. So I, I'm more encouraged by what I've seen in the past than discouraged by his goal record from last season. Uh, Graham, let's... Uh put the United hat on here. Uh, they were quick to distance themselves from spec suggestions that they would re-enter the Kane bidding. And they have... Is it fair to say they've decided what they want to do in, in the striker department now? It is. It is. They do, obviously, Rasmus Hoyland, someone they're pushing on. Um, still trying for that one. A lot going on with Atalanta because Atalanta are currently battling with Everton for El Bilal Toure. Um, Everton with no money are trying doing the best to come up with some sort of deal that the main amazingly they may not pay Almeida any money for a year. Just sums up the sums up the situation that Everton are in. But Atalanta, I think United are hoping that Atalanta win that race for Toure because that might make life a lot easier for them um, in terms of getting Hoyland. He is the one. Um, it is interesting, though, Scott, that we, we do talk about Mohamed Kudos there, who was a player who um, we were first alerted to United's interest. About November. January, that, that was it. In before, in before, maybe wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, maybe before. He's a player who Ten Hag likes a lot. And, and I've said on the show before, he could end up being one of the bargains of the window. I think you can get him at 40 million euros. Arsenal have been in touch recently. We know Brighton and Chelsea. Brighton, I think he's keeping Brighton at arm's length because he's like a Champions League team. I, from sources are suggesting to us, I think he still thinks he can get a top four team in England, one of the Champions League teams. And there is interest there. I think Kudos is a fascinating figure and want to keep an eye on. And I think United and United wants to watch. I don't think he'd be instead. I think if they got Hoyland done, and then if United, for instance, move Martial on, as they're desperate to do, I wouldn't rule them out going for Kudos as well. I really wouldn't. I, I think Kudos is a player who Ten Hag loves. He sees him. He could make him into that central striker, like a Gakpo. We said all along that he could do it with Gakpo, and then Klopp went and did it. He listened to, listened to him and did it himself. Kudos, though, is such a player who you can see. We don't know what he is. And look, look at, if you look at the um, the map of where he played for Ajax last year, Kudos, he played everywhere. But he finished the season playing a central role and was fantastic. He's a big... You know... <sighs> I'll be honest, Scott, I'd sign Kudos ahead of Hoyland. I really would. I, I think he's great. 
and I think he could be an absolute all-star number nine. I really do. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if United... They've always wanted two strikers, Scott, didn't they? We said that earlier. We, we, we have reported this. Yeah, they always wanted two strikers. So if you can get Hoyland and Kudos, uh, the, the scenario was at the time, wasn't it? £50 million for Hoyland, 40 both in Leicester, 100 That doesn't look like it's going to happen. But still, you can maybe get them both for £100 million. And I still think that represent a good um, a good piece of business from United. I wouldn't rule them out, but I think Arsenal are keeping they're fascinating ones as well. You see a player like that who could go into Arsenal, play all over the place. You could see he ticks a lot of boxes for Arteta as well. He's, he's a fascinating player and at that price. Um, it doesn't surprise me to see all these teams coming in for him now. I think he'll be one of the bargains of the summer window. I really do. Yeah, he is very Arsenal, but like like Graham mentioned there, he can play left, he can play right, he can play nine. I think he's gone on record as saying he prefers to play at number 10, but he's played for Eric Ten Hag before. And uh, Graham, the, the only spanner in the works here. Well, I, I think w- what we would say is that if United do sign Rasmus Hoyland and let Anthony Martial go, they're still potentially quite short in the striking department. Obviously, the Mason Greenwood factor is still undecided. And... You know, I think Kudus could come in and be a really, really flexible player and play in a lot of positions and work wonders for whichever team he signs for, and especially if at 40 million euros. I think it I think this one will drag out for a little while, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. I, I just don't think Ten Hag wants to be in that situation, which we saw a few times last year, of being his most advanced player being Bruno Fernandez. He doesn't want that to happen again. And whether that means that Greenwood is kudos, but kudos to be brilliant in that role. I, I really do think that. So I just don't think he wants to be left in that situation against Scott. But as we said, dependent on who they can get out from the Tomines, Maguire's, the Marshalls, obviously, the list keeps going. Um, it, it's going to be, yeah, I say, I think I'll go for the whole window this one. It wouldn't be, you know, if Kane left with Tottenham get involved, it wouldn't surprise me to see a few more teams get involved as well. As I said, I think he's, he really is one to watch. I actually willing to let him go. They're doing their own things at the minute. So, um, and Brighton's not a complete no. I just think he thinks he's got there are bigger clubs out there at the moment. So he's keeping Brighton at arm's length. I totally, but uh, but you know, when Brighton are chasing you, um, there's obviously something there. And uh, yeah, keep that in kudos. I think he's a he's a he's a fascinating option. And if and if Hoyland, if United don't get his Hoyland one over the line because it's it, it it's still sticking, Scott, at the evaluation stage. Um, I think. This is is a good option. The one that United are putting out there, that it is there for them. More so than Randall Cole Moani, who we know United have liked him in the past, but you know, how can he be an, an option away from Hoyland when he's actually more expensive? I, I don't get that. I think we're all underestimating that Anthony Martial is back in full training and in the final year of his contract, and you never know it could happen. Anyway, <laughs> I think United, I think I think the Glazers and United though, he was in charge has got a, a field up jet destined for Saudi Arabia, ready for him aboard whenever he wants. Yeah, we'll see how that one develops. Uh, Toby, anything to add there? Because uh, I was going to go back to Graham in a second, but I struggle with Kudos as a central striking option. That's all I'll say. I know he's he's done okay for Ajax. There scored eleven goals last season in the league. That's his first really established season in Ajax's first team. Before that, he'd only scored five goals in 40-odd appearances for the club. I think that would be a big risk. Like Hoyland is a risk as well. Um, he's only had one season at Atalanta and has scored, what, nine, ten Serie A goals. Um, Kudos, obviously, a little bit more proven on the international stage. Did well for Ghana at the World Cup. But whatever United do, I think they need to act quickly. 
in my mind, they should still be looking for a marquee number nine, but maybe that's not how things are, are going to play out financially. Um, maybe Eric Ten Hag has got his eye on two, and to facilitate that, it's got to be two cheaper options. Um, I'm not sure whether or not Kudos is necessarily what Eric Ten Hag needs. I actually think he could do really well at Brighton. I understand why he's got aspirations above that, but him playing for Deserby, I think would be uh, very, very entertaining. And even if that was just a platform for him to then leave Brighton after a season and get that big move, might be exactly what he needs. Uh, good fit for Spurs, Sean? I actually think so, yeah, because I think if you look at the front five or six players, they all seem to be a lot more kind of technically capable. And that's a big departure from the Spurs of the last four or five years. And I think I could imagine Kudus playing, whether that's from the right, from the left, play, he plays high up from midfield. I think he would fit in perfectly, even if he was to be a cane replacement as well. Graham, let's move on to Manchester City. Bernardo Silva. I was going to say this because Sean, actually, Sean, don't you think Kudos is the sort of player that Brentford should be going for? Bit out of their range. <laughs> I will say, I will say, I was actually thinking the other day that Ivan Tony getting that ban is really, I feel like that's kind of disrupted the striker market a bit because that's a kind of a tween option that Man United might have explored because, you know, Hoyland for whatever it is, 86 mil, whatever Atalanta want. I know Brentford are quite hard bargainers, but it does feel like that's a prime option that's off the table for a lot of big clubs that were looking to fill the striker void. Let's, uh, let's do Bernardo Silva, Graham. Mm-hmm. Uh, Riyad Mahrez is gone, uh, basically. That leaves City potentially short on the right-hand side. Well, it does, to be honest. So what are they doing, Bernardo Silva, who's wanted to go for two years? Yeah, um, we understand, Scott. They've told him he's not going to go. Um, this is one where it, it's a tough sell for Bernardo. You know, he's saying he's saying players from Leroy Sane to Gabriel Jesus to to Mares in the last week being given permission to go when they weren't happy. But City, no, he's they think he's virtually irreplaceable. You know, they've touched on they've looked at other options um, to fill coming to the midfield, um, like a Kimmich, um, Nico Barella as well. That's that, that's the sort of. Ex- level of player we're looking at for City think need to replace Silva because I think um, you know he has that option of playing out wide in the middle he does everything for them he's so important the issue City did say to him um, they could leave but they'd have to pay his market price of 75 to 80 there was an offer on the tail from Saudi Arabia which was dismissed out of hand Barcelona there's been talks with them you know they're, they're still going to be there saying just wait 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 we'll try and put a deal together that's not happening the one club who City were really worried about is PSG because they can pay that money and they really want him. Luis Enrique, he's one of his prime targets. So on the back of that, City realised this and, and the basic had telling him you can't go. But they're not just saying that. They're not just saying you can't go, get on with it, see you later. They are prepared to offer him um, one of the biggest contracts in the Premier League. They're willing to put him on terms with De Bruyne and Haaland. Um, probably double his money, if not more. And... You, you can't argue, he's, he's probably worth that. And um, they're hoping that the increased terms on offer will persuade him to stay for another couple of years at least. Um, you can, you just get a sense of how important he is, you know. Even though he's saying to City, I want to go. I think they realise that, you know, with Mahrez gone, Gundogan gone, they can't lose another one from that midfield department. As good as De Bruyne and Foden and maybe Kovacic is coming in, you know, they just can't afford to lose silver. And um, as it stands now, they're not going to let him go. 
is our understanding. Is our understanding indeed. Uh, to me, I, uh, Toby, I think he just wants, the way I read into it, Barcelona, it, I put a lot of players in this in this box at the moment of dreaming of going to join cash-strapped, absolute lever-pulling Barcelona. I think every player in the world seems to want to play for them at the moment, but Barcelona want to sign them all, but they just can't. It's obviously a childhood fantasy for many players. They dream of playing for either Barcelona or Real Madrid, and I don't think Bernardo Silva is any different. Uh, he's won everything there is to win at Manchester City as well. I think that's a major factor here. He wants a new challenge. He's 28. Um, still in the prime of his career. Uh, he just wants to go and do something different. But I said on last week's show, I thought Manchester City might have to draw a line in the sand here and say, you're the first example of someone we cannot afford to let go. They've been nicey-nice to Mares, Zinchenko, Jesus, all the players that Graham mentioned before. But when you're leaving yourself short of quality options, you do have to draw a line in the sand at some point and say, no, we can't let you go. And I think City are right to do this. Offering him a new contract um, seems like a smart move. They might be able to convince Bernardo to do another 12 months, 18 months at a push. But I don't think Barcelona are in a financial position to do this anyway, despite what they're saying. Um, I don't think the stars are aligning for Bernardo here. And really, I know he's interested in PSG. That's our understanding. It feels to me like the PSG ship is sailing if Mbappe is leaving, their chance to win the Champions League, I don't want to say it's gone, but that project looks a hell of a lot less appealing than it's ever done. And they've been, what, pursuing the Champions League for 10, 11 years? They haven't got it done. I dare say PSG are going to start sliding down the European scale. And I don't know whether or not now is the right time for Bernardo to make that move. What about Michael Elise? Uh, he has been subject of credited interest from the likes of Manchester City, uh, Arsenal, Chelsea. Does he have a release clause? I've, I've seen this floating around, Graham. Do, do we know if he does or doesn't? Um, we had contrasting reports on this. The last thing we had um, for, from Palace was that he doesn't. Um, just to play, he stood out last year. You know, he's he's a he's a tremendously talented player. I saw him come through at Reading. Wonderful player. And and Chelsea, City, um, and Arsenal. Um, we're all keeping tabs on the situation as as you would expect, really. You know, it's, he's a, he's an outstanding Premier League prospect, and, and they're doing the homework on him. Chelsea know about him anyway. They've got his brother in their academy, um, the, his brother who plays for England, whereas Michael plays for France. Um, the the family know them very well already. You know, are Chelsea looking at him to loan him to Strasbourg? Quite possibly is our understanding, but I don't think Palace are in a hurry here. You know, they see the upside of him. If Elise has another top season. Can he become their new Zaha? Quite possibly. You know, this is a player who at the moment 35, 40, but you know, this is a player who could who has a very high ceiling. He could be 80, 100 million if he continues on his progression. So I don't think there's a real need here or hurry for Palace to sell. But um they may be tempted if some of these clubs step up their interest, which they may do. Sean, uh just uh we mentioned Wolf Zaha there. Obviously, he's now been confirmed at Galatasaray. Very creative social media announcement for him. Uh, I don't know if you caught that, but uh, <laughs> very interesting. And uh, I, I, forget me, uh, I can't remember exactly. I know that Arsenal was were linked heavily with Wolf Saha down the years. Tottenham, were they as well? And do you think that... How would you reflect on his Premier League career, basically, is what, I'm, what I want to ask. Because Palace essentially priced him out of a move for a long time. And now they've gone and ended up losing 
probably one of their best ever players on a free transfer when they could have cashed in on him a few years ago. And it's the theme of this podcast because we're talking about Mbappe and Harry Kane who are in this, that same situation just a year further out. So, Will, are you surprised he's got Galatasaray? A little bit, yeah. I, I assumed that if he really wanted Champions League football that badly, he would have gone to somewhere like Marseille. We reported extensively throughout the year, Graham, that they were always looking, they were always hoping that that would be the landing spot for him. Um, in terms of Spurs, definitely, there was a long-term interest there. I think that was largely driven by Pochettino. He loved a touchline winger. He wanted someone who could beat a man. Um, I think he was quite frustrated that that was a player he never really got over the line. I think it was 2017 or 2018 that Zaha signed a big bumper new contract. And then I think he quickly regretted that, realised he priced himself out of the move, realised that Palace weren't going to play ball, which you know they were in their rights to, but it leads to the situation where they've just lost, as you said, someone that are not Palace fans that I know. They consider him their best player ever and they've lost him for free. So that's really harmful. And, you know, I think it came out of the news the same day of this Elise stuff that, you know, he could go as well. It's a really bad time to be a Palace fan. And it was something I was wondering last week, actually, that it was quiet around last week that, you know, there wasn't any update on Zaha. It looked like, if anything, he might have stayed. Um, Elise wasn't in the news. And I was wondering, is no one even going to try and make a run at Eze? And then now all of a sudden their world has kind of fallen apart. So that is the danger if you are a mid-table club like this. You know, I think Spurs, I'm not saying they're going to recover from losing a hundred mil asset for free, but I think they could stomach it a bit more if they return to European football and can piece together some sales from other assets. But for Palace, that's that's quite a stark contrast. Uh, well, from one club who demanded a high fee for one of their best players uh, and ended up losing him, on, losing him on a free to another club who were def- demanding high fee for one of their players, but won't lose him on a free, not for a long time anyway. Graham, this isn't in the running order, but Moises Caicedo and Chelsea is in the news. And what's happening here? Is there, are we any further forward? Because we're going to talk about Chelsea in a second in, in terms of sales, but just on this, I thought it was important to touch on. Um, ongoing, unfortunately, is, is, is the word for this one. Um, the player wants to go, Chelsea wants him. Brighton are digging the heels, not digging the heels in, but just being very firm with his valuation. They were very, you know, let's look back to January. They were very firm with Casado's valuation then, so why wouldn't they be now? They want an overall deal worth 100 million. Um, Chelsea are not near that yet, they're really not. Um, the opening offer, um, they've had was around 70 million. Um, so we carry on going, I think. It's we'll touch on Conor Gallagher as well. Chelsea need need Caicedo done massively, and and there's no inclination from Brighton to change. You know they they need Caicedo, Chelsea, they really do, and and they're going to have to stump up the cash. They really are. Um, they've got no issues with financial fair play with all these player sales they've managed to get through, especially at Saudi. Um, I I still make them strong favourites for Caicedo. I really do. Um, there are other options out there, you know. Do Arsenal look at him if party goes? Possibly. Um, are Liverpool out of the equation? I think Liverpool out of the equation probably because in terms of how much it cost, you know, and that would be a lot of money. Um, United obviously not in the market. Um, for again, for someone of that price in that position. So yeah, it's it, it's ongoing. As I said, Scott, it's ongoing. Chelsea are fairly confident. You know, they agree terms with the player. That's not an issue, but. Um, 
Brighton and they know who to sell. If he starts a season at Brighton, they're happy with that. If he ends the transfer window at Brighton, Brighton are happy with that as well. So absolutely no need for Brighton to drop their asking price at any point. No, not at all. Not <laughs> no at all. need. And, all. and 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 it's the stuff like if Lavia if Lavia goes for fifty, then again that just underlines from Brighton's point of view that he is worth he is worth that money. And so, as I pointed out before we started recording, I'm getting some stick online from the Chelsea fan base because I pointed out that Chelsea just set the market value for a young midfielder aged 21, 20, 106.8 million. They committed to Declan Rice, as we talked about last week, 105 million pounds. Moise Caicedo is like four years younger. And he has a, a good year of Premier League experience behind him. But you know he it's looks not made prim- good. It's not made Premier League watches, is it? If this moment in time, and you three can tell me, if you're saying, right, Caicedo ends or Fernandez. I think I think I'm taking Caicedo. I don't about you three. I, I think most people would at this moment in time. If you just not nothing to do with fee, if you could take one of those two, you'd take Caicedo, wouldn't you? It's a to me, it's a difficult one. But I think them as a pairing would be a hell of a pairing. Mm. You know, and I, I think they're they're as good as each other. They have a, a, as much promise as each other. Just one interesting note on Brighton's valuation here: they turned down eighty in January. Let's not forget Caicedo then signed a new contract at Brighton. So inevitably, that probably put his valuation up even more. And we're using Declan Rice as a measuring stick here. You're absolutely right, Scott. There's no need for Brighton to bow down here. And we've spoken about Premier League tax and the fact that players playing in this country cost more money. That's just the way it is. If Moises Caicedo was playing abroad possibly looking at 50-60, but he doesn't. So Chelsea either need to get on board with what Brighton are asking for, or this deal isn't going to happen despite their confidence. I did enjoy Roberto De Zerbi in his press conference just putting forth the idea that he would be open to getting rid of Caicedo if Chelsea threw Cole in the deal. I, do, I think the Premier League needs some wind-up merchants like that. I back that. I really, really enjoy that. So good, wasn't it? It's, it, I, it needs more of that, especially after Chelsea have just uh, spent the last year, 18 months, just plucking whoever they want from Brighton by the seams of it. And now Brighton digging their heels in a little bit and giving it a little bit back as well. I, I, I quite enjoyed it, the fact that Brighton are putting themselves on the same playing field as Chelsea at the moment. Oh, you want to take one of ours? We want to take one of yours. Well, they're in Europe. <laughs> Chelsea are in Europe. Chelsea <laughs> Not even the same playing field. Anyway, uh, let's uh, Graham. I'll come back to you on Callum Hudson Odoi, and we'll go to Toby after that. Yeah, Callum Hudson Odoi, one of the players that Chelsea are um, have told they can move on. Um, he didn't go to America on the preseason tour. He's been thrown away from the club. Um, there's a few interested parties here. Um, Chelsea are willing to do any sort of deal to get rid of him. Really, there was interest from Saudi. The player doesn't seem to be willing to go there. Um, so it leaves us with options in England. Fulham want him. They've asked the question. Palace sort of, but not quite as advanced as Fulham. And the other interesting option for him is Lazio, uh, Mauricio Sarri. One of the few managers ever to see Callum Hudson Odoi play well for him. Um, you know, and that's an interesting option. You know, he's got Champions League football. They finished second in Syria with the last year. Um, can I see Hudson Odoi? Obviously, he spent the season at Leverkusen, so he can spend time abroad. So at the moment, it looks between Fulham and, and Lazio. But yeah, he's working on a deal. Um, I suspect he might stay in London, though, to be honest. And if he does, it'll be between Fulham and Palace, from what we understand. Let's stay in London and go irons in the fire, because I believe Conor Gallagher is is one of the irons in the fire currently. 
He is of interest to West Ham. Um, from Chelsea's perspective, we'll just assess who they've got as their central midfield options and why a deal for Caicedo is so essential. They've got Enzo Fernandez, they've got Carney Trickwemaker, they've got Conor Gallagher, and they've got Andre Santos. That's really it in terms of their central midfield. Conor Gallagher is actually the oldest of those four players, age 23. But Chelsea are willing to sell him this summer if they receive a bid that meets their valuation. Um, our understanding in the last 24 hours that West Ham have had conversations with Chelsea. They haven't lodged a formal offer for him, but they've verbally indicated what they might be prepared to pay for Gallagher in the region of £40 million. Um, Chelsea not interested in doing a deal for that price with understanding that closer to 50 would potentially get a deal done. Um, Gallagher, his concerns stem around his long-term future at Stamford Bridge. I think he knows that he could get game time and regular game time in the short term, but whether or not he would be part of Mauricio Pochettino's long-term plans is another conversation. And we've seen how players at Chelsea come and go and they go through these fits and spurts of playing quite often and then suddenly being shafted to one side. So Gallagher's probably got a lot of past experience and he's seen what's happened to others. Um, so he's considering his options. Tottenham have shown an interest in him, in him this summer. Brighton have held talks over a potential deal, but not really too keen on the valuation that Chelsea have placed on him. So that's a situation that could change, but you would anticipate Chelsea won't necessarily let him go. And Pochettino's open to working with him unless Caicedo comes in because Chelsea would be extremely light in central midfield, even though Andre Santos does now have a work permit, doesn't he, Graham? That's been approved um, and we anticipate he's going to be a regular part of Chelsea's team. Yeah, he was obviously one who, like a few of the other players in there, Chucklemaker as well, and Gallagher, um, seen how pre-season went. Um, I haven't heard too many reports saying he's done badly, but obviously they were thinking that Santos had a real gem on their hands. Um, he's improved that much since the signed him. He did qualify for a permit. He became a full Brazilian national. So, um, yeah, there's not much talk of Santos going out, so I think he might very well be involved as the season progresses. And, and Gallagher's one who we, I think we'll be talking about Conor Gallagher in the final week of August. <laughs> and and he's one of the players who he is. Where come come August twelfth, whether he's in that starting lineup for Chelsea will tell us a lot. And there's quite a few of these players around the league who, you know, if they're not starting on August twelfth, they will then push for the rest of the month to get out. Well, he's one of um, a number of homegrown talents that West Ham are touching on. So Scott, you obviously folded West Ham into the equation there. Gallagher, Scott McTominay, uh, James Ward-Prowse all targets that David Moyes is looking to bring in to West Ham. Uh, West Ham had a £50 million offer for João Paulinho rejected at the back end of last week. That was a report that Graham uh, put on 90min.com. But West Ham, don't forget, appointed Tim Steeden as their technical director. Started his role in July. He's brought to the table a lot of targets from continental Europe, players that he feels have got more value for money. Um, Yusuf Fafana, Dennis Sicaria, to, to name two, but there's more. Edson Alvarez at Ajax, another one. There is a division at West Ham already. Um, he's less than a month into his job, but the players that Tim Steeden is putting forward to West Ham, David Moyes not necessarily on board with. The players that David Moyes wants to bring in, proven Premier League experience, not the players that Tim Steeden is looking at. So West Ham with what? two and a half weeks to go until the season starts, no closer to replacing Declan Rice in the centre midfield. And it's hard to say 
which way this is going to go, Graham, because the way West Ham are working at the moment, it's not going to work in the long term. If the manager and the technical director are at odds of the player of profile coming in and the level of spend, you can't see this relationship working out long term. No, as we understand, Toby, there's a few clashes going on behind the scenes. It's, you know, you're seeing the and and it's very easy to 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 go down on one side, Toby. But when you're seeing the likes of Harry Maguire, Scott McTominay, James Ward-Prowse, I'm not sure I put Conor Gallagher into that category. But when you get that high, there's just there's no value there, and it? it's the same old, same old. This is a West Ham team. Let's not forget who lost 20 Premier League games that season. You need. The ideal time with Rice leaving, I think a lot of West Ham fans, you can correct me, Toby, is it tends to revamp this team, going in a, going in a real positive direction. You know, it's not, <laughs> and I'm not having to go at Harry Maguire at all in the slightest, but Harry Maguire, McTominay, Ward Prowse. You, you can tell me, too, you see, that doesn't get your blood flowing as a, as a West Ham fan, I don't imagine, but the likes of Alvarez, so noisy, though. It Come is, but and and I think the two, I to, the two strikers actually are fascinating to me, Toby. These two strikers that we've seen linked in the last seven days, and we know there's a genuine interest in both. Eli Wahi, the the Montpellier striker. Sorry, I forgot the pronunciation. Totally wrong. One of the best young strikers in Europe. Chelsea want him. Um, Palace, lots of clubs want Antrek Frankfurt like him as a Colin Moani replacement, and Divock Origi. <laughs> that sums up the two camps at West Ham at the minute. That's where we are, where Tim Stiden, who you appointed one of the best talent spotters in Europe for bringing players through. Look look, look at Bayer Leverkusen now, where the, them three centre-halves alone there in Hincapi, Tarr and, and Matsu, look, Stiden's responsible for that. You can see what talent he has. Musa Diaby, who was there before, you can see what he can do with the team. You know, just don't get me wrong. Any Premier League manager suggesting signing Divock Origi this summer shouldn't be in work anyway, but the fact... He scores big <laughs> goals, Graham. Does it score many of them? Does he? But I don't you know what I mean, Tommy. I think them the, them two striker links just sums up the situation you're in at the minute. Well, I think there's bemusement all around, bemusement from the supporters because Steeden coming in, the whole idea of this right was to explore a different market and to look for value for money players. And we've previously said David Sullivan was not happy with West Ham's performances last year. Yes, they won the Conference League, an amazing achievement, but as you've touched on, lost 20 Premier League games. The football was pretty bleak. And the big name signings that West Ham spent a lot of money on, Lucas Pacata aside, who did well in the second half of the season, they didn't really work. Skamaka, you don't want to say he's a flop, but he's on the road to it and cost north of 35 million. So the whole point of bringing Tim Steeden in was to diversify the talent pool of players that West Ham are looking at. But with David Moyes looking in the same waters as he's always done, West Ham in danger of just going around in circles. Um, so it's going to be an interesting next couple of months, isn't it? They've got well, to bring... Well, well, we do understand, Toby, as well, and we provide us on site. There's, there's a chance that Tim Steeden walks away from this. There really is. He, he, he doesn't want to be responsible. It's my, uh, we, we we're hearing from sources at West Ham. There's, there's a chance that he walks away. Well, we've touched on West Ham and this kind of glow, gr- growing butting of heads. Let's, let's put it that way. Sean, uh, just very off the, the very off the cuff, but I think I would make my pick in the direction of East London 
for potentially the first manager to leave in the Premier League season. I don't know if we've done this with you yet. <laughs> I think you'll go at some point for sure. I think that is nailed on. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the first. And I think the frustrating for, thing for you, Toby, must be that if you just look at West Ham from kind of an asset point of view, you know, just won the Conference League, just sold Declan Rice for 105 mil, but you still have other good players in the squad. You still have other stars. You know, Pacatar starts from Brazil. Jared Bowen is a good player who has been in the England squad a few times now. Um, there's other good players in that team. You're a London team. You've just won a European trophy. You're back in the Europa League this seems like the perfect time to take that step forward and it's just feels like you might be going backwards or at least you're stuck for a little bit until this situation gets resolved, whether the Moyes gets sacked or stuck them walks. I think you're right. Stuck is the word. There is a lot of talent in West Ham's team. Clearly, they do need to go in a different direction to be able to progress. And I always look at this situation I have done for a long time. Where are West Ham going and what do they ultimately want to achieve? They're not going to achieve much more with David Moyes at the helm. He has peaked finishing sixth and seventh, winning a European trophy, it will not get any better than that. Um, even some of the players looking for a new challenge. Mikel Antonio was someone we touched on last week. He's been at West Ham for eight seasons. He could feasibly be heading off to Saudi Arabia if they put together a decent bid. They've certainly got the wages to offer Antonio. If he goes, what do West Ham then do up front? But it's classic West Ham right now. They're putting feelers out. These are all genuine feelers for about 10, 12 players just trying to get a price point on how much would X cost or how much would Y cost. But there's no real steer on this is the profile of player that we want. We're just kind of ballparking a dozen and then we'll see where we end up. Um, Very frustrating for supporters who inevitably after winning European trophy and the fact that there's a Europa League campaign coming up, you'd want excitement. I don't think there is excitement at the moment. There's nervousness and almost a sense of dread of, Christ, who is going to come in? And you're right, Scott. Is David Moyes going to be one of the first managers on, on the chopping block? The West Ham fans are right now. They're sensing this, Toby, aren't they? In the background, from what I'm reading on social and stuff, they, they, they know there's a clashing of heads here as well. The West Ham, they, the fans know what's going on here, don't they? are not in the dark about this. Yeah, people aren't naive. They know who are David Moyes' targets and they know who are Tim Steeden's targets. It's very obvious. But if you can't tell um, the difference. <laughs> yeah. And I think you can probably work out who most people on social were backing. It's Tim Steeden because they see the club moving in a a more optimistic direction and actually changing for more forward-thinking football. I don't want to say David Moyes is outdated, but... But The thing with Moyes' ones as well, though, Toby, if you went down that Moyes' route... Very expensive as well. Like James Ward Prowse to get him out 40, 50 million for a 29 year old. Harry Maguire, we know what he would cost. It would be an upgrade on what they've got. And even Scott McTominay and, so, and Gallagher, if you're looking at 40, 50 million, that's, that's towards the upper end of what of their value, surely. Yeah, you always touch on sell on value of a player. None of those prices that we've spoken about for any of the four players you've just touched on, West Ham won't make a profit on any of those. And that is the mistake that they've made so many times in the past. And I think Tim Steeden's trying to direct them in a slightly different way. You could pick up a really good central midfielder for 15, 20 million euros and potentially make a profit on him in three years' time. Everyone it's that, it's, it's like thing is, it's signing Paulinho from Fulham. It's like we said, we've said on the show plenty of times that we've gotten signed a player from the source. Paulinho's <laughs> gone to Fulham and done it. So go and get Edson Alvarez from Ajax before he then goes to somewhere else and sign him in a year's time. It, it, it's a lot of Premier League. It's weird that West Ham 
some of their targets, they're doing the opposite of what other teams are doing. Other teams are now going to the source, but West Ham seem to be not doing that. David Moyes is hell-bent on getting players who have played in the Premier League before. He said it in numerous press conferences last year. It takes time to get up to the speed of the Premier League. This is why he's looking at the likes of Ward Prowse, etc., because he wants somebody to slot in and, in his mind, be up to scratch straight away. Not sure Tim Steeden sees it that way. And as you say, Graham, it could be a defining factor in whether or not he actually stays at West Ham. Graham, final point of the show. Your man, Mitro. That is, uh, Graham just bowed his head. He's he's very sad. And it's, yeah, it's one of the disappointing ones for the for the Premier League, even, you know. Um, he's increasingly close to making his move. Fulham are probably going to get around £50 million for him. It's it's getting close to this deal, from my understanding. Um, talks are going. He's made it clear he wants to go. And obviously, I think the nail in the coffin for this was Fulham making the move for Raul Jimenez. Um you know, we talk about West Ham fans being depressed, but um, signing Raul Jimenez to replace Mitro is, is 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 as tough as it gets, isn't it? Um, proven Premier League performer previously, but nowhere near his previous level, um, which is why you're getting him at five million pounds. <laughs> Sometimes you get what you pay for. Um, yeah, yeah. So Mitro, he's going to be on his way to Saudi. Um, it's, it's a it's a sad loss um, for the Premier League. A real character. An outstanding player as well. I'm I'm still amazed he was never in the Bayern Munich etc. conversations, but uh, I think he's um, a better striker than most given credit for. I think Fulham are in real trouble now. I really, really do. They lose all those goals. And I think, I hate using this term, but their underlying numbers last year were abysmal. And I think their defence is going to catch up with them. I know they're after um, Bassi and Salati, but I don't think that's going to plug the gap that going to be left there so you're, you're Calvin Bassi and Mohamed Salisu you don't you, you don't you don't, think, <laughs> you don't think of um solidifying defense when you hear those two names not, I wouldn't be inspired by it no <laughs> yeah um yeah it's um yeah I do I, I didn't actually think about that Sean but I agree with you but um I think Fulham might be one of the beneficiaries of having um three of the weakest teams ever to come up to the Premier League in yeah in, in the shape of that, that is a good point I mean Burnley. the only the only issue is though when with a player and this is why it's kind of sad. Mitrovic can get you lots of goals. And those kinds of strikers are really difficult to come by. Like a consistent source of goals in the top flight. You find a lot of strikers that can bag a lot in the championship and then they can't score in the Premier League. And Fulham with 50 million, you know, we're talking about Rasmus Hoyland being worth 60, 70 million. I, I know that like he's a good prospect, this kind of thing, but 50 million nowadays... You'd be really lucky to find a source of 15 Premier League goals for a team like Fulham with that kind of money each year. But uh, yeah, Alexander Mitrovic, Graham's very sad about it. We'll be leaving the Premier League imminently, uh, we think. But that is it for today's show, uh, Talking Transfers. Thank you for listening, everyone. Subscribe on all your major podcast platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, and the likes. And follow us on the socials, Twitter or X, as it's now called. Uh, at double underscore Scott Saunders, at Toby underscore Cudworth, at Graham Bailey, at Sean DZ Walsh, nightmin.com forward slash talking transfers for all of the latest transfer news from us, nightmin.com for all the latest in general information, etc., etc., and uh, nightmin underscore football on the socials as well for nightmin itself. So thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you soon for another talking transfers podcast. See you soon.